Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. We thought we'd have a special third co-host this week, so we do. Matt Sheeran is with us. Welcome, Matt. Hi guys, how are you doing? Do you go by Matt or Matthew? Uh, either. Should we, should we say Matt? <laughs> oh, I'm just, just curious, you know, if it... Yeah, people just decide. I don't really mind. Um, well, uh, <laughs> we're going to have Matthew Sheeran here with us today. Uh... Per usual, we're going to run through the top 10 of the Hot 100 just a few seconds. Big week at number one for an artist who is, uh, well, getting familiar with that spot pretty comfortably in the past couple years. There's there's also a song at number two called Perfect. Uh, so that's coming up uh, in the top 10. As always, uh, we'll get into, uh, yeah, new number one on the Hot 100. We'll talk about that. And uh, really, Matt, we're just going to get into uh, a lot of the stuff you've done and specifically working uh, on Ed, Sharon, your brothers. Uh, perfect. Uh, recent number one hit, number one uh, in, in your native UK as well. So uh, we'll get into all that. Grammys, uh, obviously, uh, were last week. Uh, I figured we'd just uh, talk about the Grammys first. Uh, yeah, I feel like I was talking to Keith Caulfield, who is our other co-director of charts. He manages the Billboard 200. Uh, he was in New York for the Grammys. We're saying that Grammys sort of every year, it's kind of one of those things where no matter who wins, no one's ever fully happy. You can't make anyone happy with the Grammy Awards. Uh, I think Bruno Mars is probably happy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seemed like he... Um... I mean, obviously, had a fantastic night. If you somehow missed it and missed the news, uh, Bruno Mars took the top three awards of the night, album, record, and song of the year. So a nice little sort of spread for Bruno. The album, 24 Karat Magic. The song, 24 Karat Magic, was record of the year. But uh, That's What I Like ended up being song of the year. So, you know, everything in the Bruno catalog got a little bit of a shine. Yeah. Uh, so on the podcast last week, we had uh, Paul Grine uh, as our guest who uh, started uh, the Charpy column uh, in Billboard back in 1981. And that's exactly what he was saying that uh, Trevor and I were, were kind of saying how, you know, maybe this is Kendrick Lamar's year. And Paul, is he's been studying patterns of the Grammys over the years. And he... He he could he could see how uh, some of the hip hop stuff, how uh, Kendrick and Jay Z, maybe we're going to split the vote, leaving it wide open uh, for Bruno to win, and, and that's what happened. Yeah, no, it's not that surprising. It's kind of similar to other things that have won in the past, and it's the same guys voting. So, kind of retrospectively, it makes sense, like everything does. Yeah, I, I think what was interesting is uh, a lot of the promo leading up to the 
Grammys, even you know, from the Grammys themselves, were, were saying how this is this is a year of more diversity. We've got uh, more hip hop acts. We've got uh, Despacito, a, a huge Latin hit. And then when when uh, Bruno Mars wins, it almost kind of feels like, oh, you know, after all that buildup of all these different uh, potential winners, we wound up with you know fairly, fairly safe middle of the road choice of, of all those songs. Yeah, a lot of people. Um, and of course, you know, in the immediate aftermath, the Twitter trolls are out there. And I think people were a little more torn with Bruno. I mean, with Bruno, because a lot of people did like him and they recognize that it's not, you know, the most typical Grammy genre so there was still some sort of stretch there but also you know for Jay-Z to go zero for eight for the night was kind of upsetting to a lot of people you know he's right there in the front row with Beyonce and gets shut out uh Kendrick had one award on the, on the telecast kind of relegated to the pre-show even though he won I think five awards but only one on TV uh, and definitely one other sort of big thing that people noticed uh, only one woman winning on the main telecast that was the best new artist award right. went to alessia cara so people uh noticing the gender sort of imbalance there as well you tell us what you want to tell us uh, matt but a lot of the talk was that uh the word snub was used for for ed in, in the main categories and uh is that how you you feel do you feel like uh, shape you should have been up for record of the year song of the year divide should have been up for uh, obviously you might be a little biased but uh, but what's your take um well i think shape of you certainly like probably should have uh, based on its popularity if Despacito is going to be nominated I don't see where the logic is that Shape of You wasn't I mean if Despacito wasn't uh, nominated then yeah I guess that makes sense but yeah I think that's what most people have been saying but yeah but you got you know every year someone's not gonna yes it definitely seemed to be a, an unfortunate timing year just because like we were saying I mean there's so much a big wave especially last year after Beyonce did not win um, in the top categories a move towards towards embracing more hip-hop more R&B and it seems like that unfortunately you know coincided with the time of Ed's latest album and song but I think a lot of people yeah again were really surprised that such a massive hit like Shape of You as we mentioned last week on the podcast a lot of big hits in the past decade have walked away with that honor Uptown Funk Bruno again Hello Rolling in the Deep Somebody That I Used to Know all those, you know, major hits. So for Shape You to be absent is it's going to look weird. I, I, I feel forward. like it probably wouldn't have won either if I had, but I think it should have been nominated at, at least um, for Song of the Year. So, but anyway, yeah. I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ed wins in the pop category against four women, and it's like he can't win because a lot of people are, especially with the performance of Praying by Kesha, a lot of people uh, look at the power of that song and the vocal and the meaning of the lyrics, kind of thinking that you know Ed. Maybe Ed should have won the big categories. Maybe Kesha should have won in that category specifically. Yeah, I mean, really, they should have separate categories for male vocals and female vocals, I think. I think that would probably be a good good way around this. Um, they should do it at the Oscars as well for directors. and yeah, It should be, just be a thing that we do more now, uh, like we do in athletics. Um, I mean, they used to have, obviously, male-female separated for all the genres, and then there was a big overhaul that, that combined a lot of those together. Um I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting to see sort of how the results play out in the, in the first couple of years. I know a lot of those awards have been pretty male-leaning, so um, it'll be interesting to see going forward, you know, how they try to rectify that. But, um, but you know, congrats to the Sheeran family. Two more Grammys in the bag this year, so. Yeah. Did you guys uh, celebration afterwards? The whole family is in New York, right? Oh, yeah, no, um, I'm sure we'll um, we'll celebrate uh, um, maybe tonight. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen him yet, so, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll do that tonight. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to the Billboard Hot 100 this week. Here is this week's top 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 
Number 10. I'm a fucking soldier. Ay, always lit. Yeah, I'm never sober. It's for three days in a row. Y'all bitch coming over. Told that bitch to kick rock. She act like it's a boulder. Hey, Rory, shopping. That mean. Number nine. All that peace and that unity, all that weak shit will ruin me, fuck them. Yeah. Cause niggas started talking to me like I'm slowing down. Number five. There we go, right out of the gate, the first time you're even hearing it on this podcast, a brand new number one from the sixth god himself, God's Plan. Huge debut for Drake this week, uh, most impressively coming right out of the gate with a record 68 million on-demand streams. So um, as we saw over the course of the week, you know, setting new records on, on U.S. Spotify, on Apple Music around the world. So obviously, as we've learned by now, if you haven't learned this by now, you really need to learn this by now. When Drake puts out a song, people are going to stream it in numbers you have not seen before. He had the album last year, and to see this, it just reaffirms that I, exactly what you're saying. That he puts out a surprise release, especially that's gonna gonna up the numbers. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, I guess I need to do like almost a cross section on Drake's fan base because, you know, nobody seems to have the same kind of intersection that he can just just to command all these people in the first week to go out there and listen to these songs. I mean, you thought, we saw, you know, recently Post Malone kind of blow out of the gate with huge numbers as well, and Drake just, I mean, leaps and bounds past that. I feel like it's interesting, too, that uh, he put out two you know, core rap songs. It's not like uh, one is for the rap audience, one's more for the pop audience, like a one dance. He just went he just went straight rap on this. And maybe with hip-hop being as big as it is now, he doesn't need to put out a full-on pop song at the moment, or he just didn't want to. I mean, the backing music to it is not, you know, it's not necessarily hardcore hip-hop, not not gruff. I mean, right. there's, there's, a, there's a, you know, a one-dance kind of grooving, like, more life element. Yeah. I just feel like, I just feel like you could, you could, if you heard that music for, like, God's Play by itself, like, 
yes, it, it lends itself to a rap song, but you could, you could dance to it in a way that maybe you can't dance to to a Bodak Yellow, to a to a motorsport in the same kind of way. Well, I quite like the background track. Um, I've just been thinking about it actually, the chord sequence. Um, yeah, yeah, I like it. It's just a sort of feeling in the end, isn't it? I like the feeling, 60 million people like the feeling, enough people to get it to number one, where it does become the 29th song in Hot 100 history to start right at the top. Uh, for Drake's career overall, this marks his one, two, three, fourth number one. Um, if you guys need a quick refresher, he was featured on two Rihanna number ones, his first two trips to the top on What's My Name way back in 2010 when he was just you know a pretty wee lad out of the gate. And in 2016, again, on Work. And then later in 2016, he got his first as a lead artist with the song One Dance uh, alongside WizKid and Kyla. And now here he is back on top with God's Plan. And uh, God's Plan, not the only new song uh, by Drake in the top 10. We are back at number seven, a diplomatic immunity debut as well. Yeah, and so right there, one in seven, Drake having two songs to debut in the top 10 this week. Uh, it's actually done this before in his career. When the More Life album came out uh, in spring of last year, the songs Passion Fruit and Portland uh, debuted at 8 and 9 on Hot 100. So Drake, once again, debuting two songs in the top 10 in the same week. Uh, Only one other artist in Hot 100 history has been able to cross that milestone off. Uh, Any guesses in the room about who who might have been the first person? It's a leading question. (laughs) To have... Two songs debut in the top ten in the same week. Uh, you got a guess for us, Matt? Someone you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, him. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is Ed Sheeran. Last year when Shape U debuted at number one, and Castle on the Hill debuted at number six. Uh, just around this time last year, so, right. so a nice little anniversary present for that. So with those two songs, say he gets his 21st and 22nd Hot 100 Top 10. And that's a new record among rappers. So uh, Jay-Z with 21. So last week, Drake was at 20. This week, he adds two. Not a good week for Jay-Z. Yeah, uh, adding a little uh, insult to the Grammy's uh, injury. But uh, Drake, the new uh, rapper with the most uh, top 10s uh, all time on the Hot 100. He's, you know, he's more than a rapper. He's a singer, writer, producer. has a lot of different sides. He's but, evolved at this right. point. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, so nice of Ed Sheeran to make room for Drake, uh, number one. To, so uh, we're going to get into p- perfect, uh, Matt, of h- how uh, the song came about and your involvement uh, in it. But it, the song is so uh, ubiquitous at this point. It's just it's just every- A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Everywhere are you? 
Is it still exciting when you hear? Perfect. I'm not listening to it at the moment. I'm trying to take some time out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a song, I think for a lot of people, um, when we hear it, you know, in, in the past couple months on the radio, how long have you been sitting with this song in, in terms of your idea? Or like, is this something that, you know, you've been playing with for three years and now a- we're April 2016, and the song was written in August uh, 2015. So it's been around for a very long time. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. So it's been all... Yeah, I know. Just Tell me about up, it. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did you first hear it? Did Ed just play it for you one day? Yeah. Yeah, we were in the car and he was playing me all the new songs of the album many of which aren't on there um and yeah no the perfect was the least uh sort of produced one it was very sort of um sort of out of tune guitar like um a very rough recording and all the other ones were more sort of produced and stuff as a didn't really sort of take any notice of it, to be honest. And then, really? then he came back later. He's like, oh, do you remember that song, Perfect? And I was like, yeah, and actually I didn't remember it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So he was all excited about it because it was, it was different. It was the ballad. Was oh, yeah, song. yeah, yeah. Def- he, he, he had a vision in his head, which no one else could hear. So yeah. Oh. Was there a song that he did play in, in that drive that uh, stood out to you? I, I really like Dive. Um, it's, a sh- it's a shame that wasn't a single. I think that that's my, probably my favourite on the album. Well, it's still uh, time, yeah. Yeah, no, there was one called, what was it called? Uh, what Do I Know? I watched that. I watched him writing that, and that, that was, I really like that one. That's that's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, no, it's a cool album. Yeah. Does he uh, does he run music by you a lot? Is that a typical? Thing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's so much that's never been released. <laughs> Are you, as brothers, are you uh, totally honest in your, uh, you, oh, yeah. you criticize them maybe way well, more than would, right? Well, you've got to, like, I remember, uh, like, when he first started out, there was one song he played me, and I told him I didn't like it, and he said he'd never play, played it again, and I was like, <laughs> oh. okay, I like, I don't know if that was some lost masterpiece or something, because, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, um, I think you can say you don't like or something's not your cup of tea and that doesn't mean it's bad and I think people need to do that more say rather than I I think this person's terrible rather that's not my cup of tea but for that genre it's good and uh, but I don't understand why um, if that makes sense Um, generally like your stuff yeah (laughs) (laughs) there we go Uh, so I guess growing up, how did music enter this year in household? I know you're older than Ed by a couple of years, but who was the first to kind of explore music and bring it to the forefront? Um, well, we listened to music in the car constantly, a lot of very long drives. It was mostly sort of 80s music, uh, Kate Bush, there was some Elton John, Van Morrison. And I, I, I like Ed, like, kind of, uh, he, he loved this stuff, but I, I kind of didn't. <laughs> so I kind of... My grandparents uh, were, uh, my grandmother was was an opera singer, and so I was sort of, that's sort of how I got into music through her rather than through my parents' taste in music, so it kind of skipped a generation, Uh, so... And you you performed in, in, in operas and churches. Yeah, yeah. No, I was um uh, uh I was we when we moved to Suffolk when I was six, I joined the local church choir and I did a and Ed joined as well, and that's kind of probably why we've you know he's got the sing he can sing in tune and everything and uh, sung loads of solos uh, and uh, so we have a composer called Benjamin Britton who's a a local composer who wrote a lot of children's operas, so I was in a few of those. Uh, so yeah, it was very fun. Uh, but then my voice broke and I stopped. So I also play the violin. So I was doing that all that time. Yeah. So when you heard, 
like opera music and with classical music is that just sort of where your mind uh, yeah no not went? so much opera but yeah classical music opera is like the rap of classical music you either really really love it or you're like don't really like it at yeah. all so i i've struggled liking opera to be honest about i like the odd aria and stuff but they're so long <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's more you like more instrumental music yeah 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 especially uh sort of uh chamber music so not orchestral music so like only a few instruments it's sort of more intimate that's the sort of stuff that i i, I would like to write for pleasure and listen to but but yeah orchestral stuff's fun as well yeah. so uh even though you, you both grew up with music uh, perfect is that really the first time you guys uh collaborated on, on a song <gasps> I did some strings for Dive, which didn't make the album, and that was the first time we collaborated, literally like a, a few weeks earlier. And um, yeah, so yeah, it, it was kind of interesting because I thought this is either going to work really, really well or it's going to work really, really badly because we have both very different tastes in music. So I'm more into sort of um, melody and harmony, like out. He's very into lyrics, and uh, I'm more into. I'm not very interested in lyrics, so I'll listen to a song and I love the melody and the chords and stuff, and he won't like the lyrics of it, so he won't like the song. So it's kind of that sort of vibe going on. But but yeah, it worked out really well because uh, you know I, could, I kind of knew the sort of stuff he liked, so that was really helpful. So it was a good experience. Oh yeah, no, together. absolutely perfect. No clashes, yeah. no nothing. Not at all, not yeah. at all. No, but I mean, there there easily could have been, but because you you never know. But there there, there wasn't, and um, yes, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. We said earlier that uh, he played it for you before, and you kind of you know didn't. Think well, I mean, it. there are so many songs that he plays me like, and you know they're all just with guitar because they sort of haven't been produced yet mm -hmm. so they all merge into one if that makes sense because <laughs> oh make, i mean i i can only imagine yeah <laughs> but did uh then, then when it came time to, to rework the song did did he reach out to you and, and ask you to come in or did you have suggestions no no he reached out to me he wanted to do a more left field type sort of thing and have a um you know he's known for his loop pedal and everything and everything's very very minimalist and sort of one man band type thing and he he wanted to do a sort of, have a sort of classic sound like um sort of uh you know like Frank Sinatra type sort of vibe with a full orchestra where it builds up and uh, that that was the that was basically the brief um and so I listened to loads of um loads of Nelson Riddle ar uh, arrangements Nat King Cole a, a lot of a lot of that to kind of get sort of pumped up for it before I began work on it um so so just to be clear the original version of perfect was the Bocelli version but in english and then later on that was uh changed slightly to the um version we we hear on the radio now and there's also an acoustic version which was um pitched as the main version which has also been released which is very worth listening to as well so there's just so many versions it gets so confusing <laughs> right so we, were you in the studio when Bocelli was recording his vocals? How? What was yeah, no, we recorded them twice. So, um, yeah, like, we should probably start with the orchestral. We, we recorded the orchestra first. Okay. Bocelli's like a year and a half later. So, um, so, uh, so I wrote the song in um, sheet music, and then I had to create what's called a MIDI mock-up where you use fake virtual instruments to simulate what an orchestra would sound like. You do this in film music a lot so that directors can know what they're paying for and whether to just, you know, because it's so much money to pay for an orchestra. So I had to create a, a simulated version, which I then emailed to Ed when he was on um, 
the producer of the executive producer of the album Benny Blanco, who you probably heard of. Um, he uh, is scared of flying, so they got the the boat from New York to uh, to London. Uh, I mean, to the UK. So Ed was on this boat for like a week, huh? uh, kind of claustrophobic. And wow. whilst he was on the boat, I sent him my uh, uh, MIDI mock-up of the um, orchestral version. So, um, and and he, and he liked. It. I mean, I would have made any changes he wants, but there was only one very minor change where something had to be repeated twice. So, yeah. So that's uh, and and then so we had the we had the go-ahead to record it at Abbey Road, which we then did, um, which was really great. Right. Yeah, do you feel the history of the sense of Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. It was in Studio 2, and, yeah, we had uh, a very generous amount of time to rehearse it, and the, the, we actually filmed him singing it with the orchestra, which will be seen in an upcoming documentary. So the whole process was um, uh, sort of documented by um, cameras and everything, and all his songwriting is filmed. So it's absolutely fascinating to see, you know, the sort of moment of truth when he gets those kind of amazing ideas you guys are in for a treat when this thing comes out I'm excited because it's very unusual for people to do this um, you imagine if with the Beatles you could see them writing these great hits right. and we'd see where yeah and of course were you surprised or excited at least when you heard it was going to be picked as the single not just make the album but you know be the next song out there well, I, I mean, I've been told this was going to be the taste. Anyway, apparently the um, song had gone down very, very well with a lot of Edward's friends and stuff. And uh, apparently, yeah, and that, so, yeah, it was expected that it would do very well. Um, but but I, I don't... No, no I, pressure, I, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we recorded with the orchestra and then they didn't think that the radio would play it and it kind of didn't gel in with the rest of the songs on the album. So they um, they got um, a guy called Will Hicks to um, produce it and there's a new beginning and new drums and everything and that's the version that we hear on the radio. And then Ed was like, oh, we need, we need to do something with this orchestral version. And he he wanted to release it at Christmas because it's got a kind of Christmassy feeling right. and he was like oh we should get Andrea Bocelli to sing it in Italian like, so I was like oh, okay some <laughs> some crazy idea and um, Ed's crazy ideas always work like he know, he really he really knows what he's doing so we, we had to get it translated into Italian so the, the very next day after he told me this I went to this wedding and there happened to be an Italian translator there and I was like do you want to translate this uh, song into Italian? <laughs> and uh, so we got starting on that because it, it, it needed to be incredibly accurate. The melody couldn't change. And Italian's a very different language to English because it's syllabic. There's very few monosyllabic words in Italian. So that makes it very difficult to um, translate it into, um, like, properly. And, um, yeah... And and also, this wasn't the first time that I'd been involved translating one of Ed's songs. I got his uh, Hobbit song, um, I See Fire, translated into the language of the dwarves as like a Christmas present, because it's difficult to get people like Ed Christmas presents, because, you know, they, they've already got everything. So that was quite a cool cool <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> it, darling, you look perfect tonight. Sei la mia donna, la forza delle onde del mare, 
raccogli i miei sogni, i miei segreti, molto di più. So we recorded at uh, Andrea's house uh, in um, Italy. Yeah. So I went over uh, first, and but we hadn't, we still hadn't sort of finalised the Italian words because he's very particular about the type of vowel sounds, etc. That he's, you know, we needed to get it as good as possible. So uh, we went over and we sort of finalised that. And he, he also really wanted to get to know the song. In, in his sort of throat to to really kind of do a really good job and then he was going to do it again and we we're probably going to get edward on uh, ed on i call him edward <laughs> but yeah <laughs> we we're going to get ed on skype to kind of supervise that and uh, then ed broke his arms and um he had to cancel a couple of uh, concerts and um so he was able to go over to italy himself and um, record the duet with Andrea, and um, so that would never have happened if uh, that video would not exist, if because there was no time to do this. Cause this was about October, November of last right. year, and um, yeah, and that's that's the end of that <laughs> story. And uh, obviously, there's the Beyonce version was released just beforehand, and um, yeah, this sort of contributed to the song being Christmas number one because uh, there's different audiences, you know, Beyonce fans that are not necessarily fans of Ed's other stuff. They wanted to hear that version of the song. And, you know, Bocelli fans that they may not even have heard of Ed and uh, they wanted to hear whatever Bocelli does. So, um, yeah, it was successful. <laughs> be, you know, no matter which version it is, that there's such an orchestral feel overall to the song to hear that like every time i still hear it on the radio that uh, is it right after the first chorus where it goes into the strings it just always hits me out it's, it's kind of cool to hear that nowadays in a pop song on the radio yeah yeah so yeah because i was looking at all these great arrangers from the past and stuff and there's certain ground rules that you've got to sort of follow because let, let's say ed singing you don't want the orchestra to do something really complicating and distracting so it's like so you have it in between the lines you have the different um, orchestral interjections in between his um lines as yeah, of course, this is in Italian now, but I'm sort of familiar with it all being English. But, uh, yeah. Uh, also, in the, uh, um, interestingly, in the um, Perfect Symphony version, you've got the piccolo solo uh, in the first verse. It's not a flute, it's a piccolo playing in its low register, and that kind of symbolizes the women of the song. So, I found a girl, and then you have the piccolo coming in, and that's that sort of, and, and then the piccolo comes back at the end. And yeah, sort of. So that's 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 the mind of the arranger. Yeah, yeah, and it was actually quite a difficult song to arrange because uh, in the original demo that Ed sent me, he did a, some of the harmonies and chords with his voice, and it sounds fantastic. But when you transcribe that onto instruments, for some reason it didn't work with instruments, even though it worked with his voice. It's really really curious. I have no idea why either. It's just one of those uh things and so it was it was actually it sounds very simple some of the music like in the first chorus the strings and that sound very interesting chords but to get the voicings right was actually that was one of the hardest parts it wasn't the more complex stuff later it was getting it simple articulating the vocals with the backing of the orchestra um making sure the structure of the song is articulated properly um yeah so it was quite challenging but yeah it was really I was given like quite a lot of time to do it, which was, you know, it's rare to to be able to get that deep in a song and really get to know what's going on in it. It was, it was really great. 
So you've had a couple experiences now working with Ed in the studio. Does this, does this mean going forward you guys are more comfortable in that specific type of working together? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as long as it's sort of playing to our strengths. Like, um, So, yeah. So, yeah, I did, um, did, uh, did some string. There's a song called Save Myself on the album, which I did some strings on as well. The, instead of a cello I used a double bass which I sort of prefer the sound to playing the bass line and there's also strings on Happier uh, as well which we recorded at Abbey Road so uh, yeah done quite a few string arrangements <laughs> Wait, you, you might get sick of that song too That that's the next single here in the Happier. US yeah yeah, yeah but I haven't had to listen like because uh, I didn't produce <laughs> that so I haven't had to listen to that over a thousand times yeah. so I'm, I'm cool with that song <laughs> I don't mind uh, and Ed playing you any any new stuff? But he's been spending the last month writing a album. I don't know if it's his next album or if it's something else. But yeah, he's been working very hard on that by himself in Suff in Suffolk, and because he, he's he's never been able to. Um, he's, he has his own studio now. Before he'd have to go to other people's studios. So I have apparently they've done like thirteen songs or something, according to my dad. So I, I haven't heard any of those yet. So. Yeah. Well, be interesting to see what sort of direction he takes it in. He he wants to always surprise people. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, don't don't uh, don't say no to anything. Though you have the power to. I'm not going to. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to. I'm well, not going to tell him they're terrible. <laughs> keep, keep an open mind, man. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> what um uh, when, when did you first start uh doing stuff for pro- professional? What were some of your first uh when you realized you know this is this is really my my lane? Um. Well going back quite a bit um i only really properly got passionate about classical music when i was 14 and i I saw this documentary called the art of the violin which is about the great violinists of history and i I play the violin myself and my grandmother again bought this for me and that that really was what got me into classical music and uh, so i was writing loads of violin pieces kind of virtuoso stuff a bit like paganini it's kind of messing around and then this girl in my um town who was um uh, child prodigy violinist and basically just played the violin all day at homeschool type thing she she had a look at some of this stuff and suggested that i study composition i'd never thought it was sort of just saw it as a hobby and that's kind of where it all started so my background sort of concert classical so it's a sort of uh university conservatoire sort of world rather than the film music world so i you know i did that for a bit by so studied music at university but I always wanted to go into commercial film music rather than academia because I think if you're going to be a composer like doing it rather than teaching it is actual composition do you know what I mean so um and there's also it's so fascinating because you have to learn how to write in so many different styles of music um the most bizarre requests like oh we need some east african music for this oh we need some brazilian uh, you know, bossa nova for this, and then you have to you go on Spotify and you listen to a lot of that stuff and kind of learn how to do that. And um, yeah, it's just endlessly sort of fascinating, really. You, you never know what you're going to do next. So. I know I was listening uh, on your SoundCloud page earlier, and I mm-hmm. saw just there's, I mean, all the samples kind of take different places. There's one that was um, sort of like, I guess, t- time with D Day, June 1944 was like yeah. one of the pieces. There's one that's very um, jazz and saxophone heavy. Do you have a favorite kind of style or, or a mood or feeling when you get a request for that you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I can do this? Well, when you're playing to your own strengths, i.e., sort of, you know, classical sort of leaning or, you know, 
orchestral or piano I, that, that's just a lot easier for me to do i mean to write jazz i can do it but it's it, you know you really have to work at it to make it actually sounding and and it's it's just you the music you write is what the director's taste in music is it's not your taste in music generally they're like we want it to sound like this um and if they've got good taste then you will write good music and if they've got bad taste you'll write kind of bad music but like that's what they wanted and you know the customer's always right so it's kind of some of them are good and some of them aren't and you know it's sort of yeah when you watch movies now do you get distracted because you're paying attention to the music or can you follow or does sometimes that part of you take over where you're thinking oh in this scene that they should have done something here or do you think that analytically well it's, it's kind of handy sometimes because you can watch a movie that's not very good but the music's very good and that will mean it was worth seeing yeah. so um and if the music's not good that that doesn't really spoil it i mean i think the best compliment you can have if you're a sort of film composer is that people are so immersed in everything that they didn't notice the music and that means it's done its job of you fully immersed in the sort of experience right i mean i'm mostly i'm more into sort of um uh, sort of television show music rather than film i'm very into sort of you know netflix series and things because you get to know the characters more because there's longer time and you use sort of musical motifs to sort of um to do that and yeah so uh, that, that's sort of my main interest uh musically yeah. is there uh just just for some of the listeners to kind of get a sense of, of how your mind works in particular is there a particular tv show or movie that you uh really enjoy the music and arrangements I mean, quite, for? A, quite a good example of how i would listen to music would be i'm sure everyone's seen house of cards and knows the 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 music at the beginning with all the shots of Washington. And what the composer does in that is he has the bass line in A minor. And then he has the strings come in in A major. And I kind of feel it's a sort of, you got the Republicans and the Democrats and it's sort of this great battle between major and minor. And this is a very unusual thing to do, to have A major and A minor at the same time. It goes against all the rules. There's actually... Um, I think pop problem uh, Ariana Grande. There's a bit where they have uh, a, ma a major and a minor at the same time, and that that was very striking to me. But but yeah, so that would be an example of how, again listening to pop music. That's how, sort of how I listen to it in sort of more analytical kind of music theory terms, rather than sort of lyric based. Sometimes songs they're a little bit different stand out, and then that kind of starts a trend. You know, maybe perfect sets a trend where we start seeing more of these kind of orchestral songs in in pop hits. I really forward. wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that will probably happen. It's great. It's great to bring the orchestra to a wider audience because people don't think they like classical music, but they're exposed to it constantly in film music, and it, they just don't have ways to access the sort of stuff they'd like because they don't know enough about it. So the most popular pieces of classical music are ones that are featured in films, but there's a lot of other classical music which isn't in films, which would, if it wasn't a film, everyone would love. So you you could you know, got the second concerto of Rachmaninoff in, um, I think it's Brief Encounter, but you could have put like the first concerto in it and people would have loved that just as much. Uh, so yeah. Well, like, congratulations, uh, Matt, on, on all the success of uh, Perfect and uh, and uh, the Sharon family having a little, uh, nice little, little vacation here in uh, in New York. You guys doing anything uh, special before uh, before you go back? 
Well, yeah, there's this um, Elton John, uh, I think it was the Grammy tribute concert, which Ed's um, singing in. I think he's doing Candle in the Wind, so that's in a few hours' time. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. I went to the uh, Stevie Wonder one which was, uh, a couple of years ago, which was right. literally mm-hmm. one of the best things I've ever seen musically. It was just incredible. So I have high... Was high that, expectations was that what ed and beyonce saying yeah it was incredible it was incredible and, and like the other guys that were in that like everything about that concert was just incredible and the, the songs are just incredible <laughs> stevie wonder musical genius indeed yeah <laughs> all right well uh wrap us up uh, uh matt we, we always close with, with a song you're you're our guest you pick a classic song for us to uh to go with something that maybe means uh, something to you uh, specifically yeah, well, I think I'll play. Um, we should play one of the songs that I was listening to when um, I was doing the arrangement for Perfect Symphony, which is uh, "When I Fall in Love" uh, Nat King Cole, which is a orchestral background. So, yeah, I think people would like that. Well, a very timely pick uh, here at the beginning of Black History Month, celebrating one of the great Black artists of all time. Uh, we'll let you introduce it. "When I Fall in Love" by Nat King Cole. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys. It's been great. When I fall in love It will be forever Or I'll never fall in love In a restless world 